You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome to American Sex, the award-winning podcast dedicated to challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have in the U.S. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and ridiculous, sadistic kinksters. We're also non-monogamously married to each other. So strap in or strap one on. In this house, your pleasure is power. Your kink is customizable. And your subversive perversions are revolutionary. Hello, my friends. Welcome to American Sex. You'll never, you'll never, ever, ever be rid of my sound effects. They're, they're the highlight of my life. Another highlight of my life is this week's guest. Phrygian Monk. Now, the idea for this episode started when one of their no nuance November social media posts came across my timeline. And that post was Kink Talk, the kinky side of TikTok, is heavily segregated and pretty racist, like 1950s level. Then following, there were other no nuance November posts of the same sentiment, like It will never be fully safe for kinksters of color to play with white partners. Or if you're not learning about how different types of BDSM play relate to people of color, then the research and education you're doing isn't as thorough and helpful as you think it is. So that's where Phrygian Monk and I start our conversation, and it goes into all sorts of wonderful places. If you're somebody who's committed to being anti-racist and making your BDSM or otherwise sex-positive community truly inclusive, and not I'm not just talking buzzword inclusive, then this episode is a must-listen. And of course, if you haven't tried to do that before, then this episode is really a must listen. And maybe if you have friends and other folks that you think have it, recommend this episode to them as well. Now, if you're not familiar with Phrygian Monk, here is a brief intro to them. Now, Phrygian Monk is a BDSM presenter and educator who's bringing diversity and a new outlook to kink education. With a five-plus-year background engaging in the kink and leather communities, Monk has decided to take the education that they've received and pass it on to their fellow peers. With classes in subjects like vetting, negotiation, and various forms of play, Monk hopes to connect with fellow younger kinksters and provide a space for peer learning and education. Also, as an activist in the kinky world, Monk uses their experience and knowledge as a Black queer individual to share about and fight for more inclusive and safer community for all people. Having hosted and participated in various talks and discussion groups and panels on the subject of race, racism, and how they impact the kink community, Monk hopes to see change, growth, and diversity flourish in local communities and in individuals as they introspect, grow, and become active participants in fighting for a community that is for 
everyone. So this is so good. So good. So good. So good. And you know, I got stuff before it's the before times. It's the appetizer of the conversation. And one of the things, one of the little, you know, deep fried little treats with cheese and creamy goodness that I want to give you is a, a brief talk about no nut November. You know, we're all about the no something November, no nuance November, no nut November. There was no shave November. I don't know if that's still happening. That was to raise money for, was it for uh, prostate cancer? I think great effort. I don't know why I didn't hear much about it this year, but yeah, no nut November. So if you haven't heard of it, it's an entire 30 days dedicated to refraining from what I call self-entertaining, yes, masturbation. And for some folks, they take that to refraining from coming altogether, whether it's with a partner or, you know, doesn't matter. Now, I know a lot of you listening are kinky or at least kink curious and maybe an entire 30 days dedicated to refraining Sounds kind of like, ooh, you know, that anticipation can be sexy, that tease and control and denial. Ah, well, okay, wait, hold on, Er, pump the brakes. I have got news because No Nut November wasn't created to be Locktober, the sequel, 30 More Days of Chastity. If you're not familiar with Locktober, that's the kink communities month where they refrain for the fun, kinky, fetishy purposes and engage in all sorts of chastity games and edging and orgasm control and the whole deal. But if you're doing No Nut November because you like that vibe, I got to tell you something. The origins of No Nut November are rooted in anti-sex culture, in so much pseudoscience that it is, mm, is a lot. Uh, purity culture, incel, like the incel community and incel-esque thinking. It's tied to the no-fap movement whose origins are, you know, in early, early Reddit when it was like kind of 4chan-y, also 4chan. Not only is No Nut November, or at least the original intent of No Nut November, shame-based and sex-negative, it's rooted in far-right ideology. It's often used as a recruiting tool for people on the right. It's quite effective propaganda that, you know, the best propaganda has like some truth to it and then a bunch of other shit attached to it. And look at No Nut November. It has appeal. It's viral. There's all the hashtags. Everyone's doing it. You're part of the community. It's kind of fun and exciting and sexy for many reasons for us that are not rooted in shame. They're rooted in play. They're rooted in kink. And, you know, many of us kinksters and adventurous vanilla folks are guilty of inadvertently, without knowing it at all, peddling and endorsing some of these harmful things that are attached to No Nut November while we're kinking the month and enjoying ourselves. So I'm not saying don't do No Nut November. I'm saying do it with intention. Know the background. Know that when you're talking about it online and, you know, which is perfectly fine, perfectly awesome. Know that you're doing the repurposed kink version. And some folks out there may not know the difference, may not know the origins, 
So be mindful of that. I, I did some content. I have a YouTube video out. I wrote an article for Zipper Magazine about all of this for No Nut November. And I talk about how you can still partake in all of the fun of No Nut November and the delicious misery because I know like chastity and refraining and edging, it's like, oh, so difficult, but so much fun. And how you can do that with intention and all the ways that I'm talking about. One thing I got to share with you, I've shared it on social media. It's it's attached to my article on Zipper Magazine. It's um, a chart of No Nut November versus Locktober. And it compares and it's like, you know, the community for Locktober people, it's all about kink. For No Nut November people, it's the incels. Uh, for Locktober, you submit to goddess. For No Nut November, you submit to God. There's a bunch of stuff, but the one that just killed me because it's so funny. So for kinksters doing Locktober, your temptation is keeping it up and continuing Locktober through No Nut November. And for the folks doing No Nut November, it's the seductive gape of the Thanksgiving turkey. And it just gets funnier from there. So check that out. I'll link it in the show notes. And speaking of zipper and show notes and all that stuff, I think it's time to wash the balls, don't you? Ball washing noise. Let's get him clean on American Sex Podcast. Ball washing is housekeeping. Let's talk about what's been going on. Have a little chit chat, a little personal time, all that stuff. So yeah, zipper. Uh, zippermagazine.com. If you haven't heard of it, I'm the editor in chief of this kink focused online magazine. And we've got all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're doing a live stream on Instagram with Evie Lupine, all about DS or dominant submissive myths. So watch out for that. And come on over and visit Zipper. There is so much great stuff I know you'll dig on the website. And if you enjoy what we're doing, please tell your friends, share your favorite articles with your kink positive discord groups and Facebook groups or FetLife, et cetera. Subscribe to the YouTube, subscribe to the social media, share our resource lists with new kinksters looking for more information, anything you can do to help spread the word. Because as you know, anyone having to deal with sex in any way, shape, or form, even in an educational mainstream type fashion gets suppressed on social media. So anything you can do to help be our little kinky street team is appreciated. And yeah, I keep saying, oh, it's in the episode description. Oh, it's in the show notes. So go visit those. We've got other links like uh, the link to our Discord group that you can join, my free negotiation mini workbook, our Patreon page link, and lots of discounts for BDSM gear and sex toy retailers. I know you're probably doing some shopping right now. Uh, so I got the discounts. So yeah, go visit all that stuff. And I especially want to give one shout out to one BDSM education provider, which is Kink Academy. They've got over 2,000 videos about every kink thing you can think of. There's how-tos, there's tutorials, there's not only the hard skills, like the how to do rope bondage, how to throw a flogger, how to select the right vibrators, that sort of thing, but also a lot of the soft skills, those human skills, the communication, the things that we can never quite perfect and we always need to keep learning. So it's a great site that I love, love, love. and 
please, if you're going to go gift Kink Academy or get a Kink Academy subscription for yourself, it's like 20 bucks a month, totally reasonable, and you get full access. You can watch as many videos as you want in a month. Please use my link, which is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Kink Academy. When you do that, it helps support American Sex Podcast and the work I do as you know, Sunny Megatron educating. And if you're recommending it to others, recommend that link, bit.ly slash Kink Academy. And mwah, I love you for that. So that's it for all the, the sex positive, kink positive related stuff. You know, let's have a little chat about what's been going on with me and Ken on a more personal level. So, you know, if we're close like that, listen in. And if we're not and you're like, I don't, I don't really give a fuck, uh, skip on over to about the 24, 25 minute mark if you want to go straight to my conversation with Frisian Monk. So a couple of months ago, I started talking to y'all about rebranding American sex for for lots and lots of reasons. And I'm still looking to do that. Uh, Not a name change, though. I really thought hard about it. But I think a branding and imaging change. And I realized why for me. And I'm wondering if some of you feel the same way. I think it's the American flag and like the, the patriotic branding and colors in our logo, in our show art, that at least is a problem for me. And I'll tell you why. I heard someone uh, in a video the other day that it was like, oh my God, that's it. And they said that seeing the American flag for them feels almost violent, like they're seeing a hate symbol. And yeah, that really captured what I couldn't articulate for me kind of like seeing the Confederate flag. And this isn't because for me personally, I have some kind of hate for this country or, you know, people who are Americans. Absolutely not. Sure, I'm not happy with a lot of things that are happening here structurally and politically and, you know, all that stuff. But it's because the last few years, every time I see the American flag or every time I see somebody celebrating the American flag, talking about the American flag, displaying the American flag, it's often in a really hostile way, and it's often displayed alongside other hate symbols like the Confederate flag. And that subconscious association that's been like wired into my brain probably since 2016 when, you know, all this stuff went off the rails has a subconscious effect on me. You know, a lot of times we'll talk about how how you feel somatically with that. You know, how does your body feel when you think about that thing? And yeah, when I, when I see just anything patriotic or American flag, like in my body, I'm like, like it makes me feel not good. So I think that at least for me, as part of the impetus behind why I wanted to rebrand and, you know, Ken and I have talked about it. He feels the same way. Um, And I know some of you, we've talked about it, and some of y'all feel the same way. And I know there are are other people that aren't saying anything that feel the same way when they see our branding and colors kind of on a subconscious level. So I'm hoping when we return from winter hiatus in January, we'll have all that new branding and artwork done. So that's where we are with that. And, you know, speaking of not being happy with what's going on in the U.S., we are still working on getting all of our ducks in a row lined up for immigrating, for leaving the U.S. And, you know, 
for lots of reasons. Not only is the pyramid scheme of American capitalism absolutely working against us to the point where we're never going to be able to retire. We are working ourselves like to the bone. My health, Ken's health, the kids' health too, we're all having some issues. You know, I have mystery autoimmune issues that I've had my whole life that have just been exacerbated tenfold in the last couple of years. Ken's having similar autoimmune issues. My kids are going through stuff and it's very similar to like a long COVID sort of thing. I don't know if that's actually what it is, but it's, you know, from the neurological stuff to the autoimmune sort of things, uh, neurological, oh, I'd say I said it again, like right there. <laughs> you have seen neurological problems like in real time. Um, but yeah, like for me, it's gotten to the point where I'm reacting to chemicals that are in all American food. I'm reacting to tap water. Like it is awful. It's been awful. So moving out of the US and moving to Europe, uh, we're looking at Portugal. Not only is the quality of food better, we're looking to kind of be a little not completely off the grid, but a little farmy, you know, not uh, eating all this mass processed, even European food. And the healthcare system there is, you know, here I have been trying to get an appointment with a neurologist for over a year and a half. I have been, been gaslit by every other doctor, you know, almost every doctor. Uh, it's just been awful. It has been horrible. It's been the same way for my kids. It's even been similar for Ken, who like, he's a white guy navigating the medical system. And he's usually never had problems communicating with doctors and getting what he needs. But this is also the first time he's had like some weird mystery autoimmune something. And now he's like, what the fuck? Everybody's gaslighting me. Nobody's listening to me. I'm like, see, see. So that's a huge couple of huge reasons why we're just like, we're going. But you know how people say, hey, if you don't like America, just leave. Yeah, we're trying to do that. But holy motherfuck, is it hard? Oh, my God. So in order for us to move, just lots of reasons and situations, our best bet here is buying a home. And uh, oh, my God. Yes, things are a lot cheaper in Europe. Yes, theoretically, it it seems easy, right? But like here in America, we have like no money down. Ken is a you know former Air Force. He's got the VA loan benefits. Da, 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 da. It's not like that in Europe. It is if you are buying from outside the US and you're not a resident of Portugal, it's a 30% down payment. It the, the mortgage process is a lot more stringent. You can't spend uh you know the same percentage of your income on housing as they calculate when they're doing US mortgages. Like it is mm. so we've gotten to the point where it's like, all right, because of the down payment requirement, even though, yeah, we can afford a monthly mortgage on something that would be a pretty nice house, but this down payment limit, the only thing maybe we can afford is something that is just barely livable and then are not handy at all asses need to 
like do a this old house and watch YouTube videos and learn to rehab a house while we're living in it. Cause that is the, and even then it's like, mm, we might not be able to do this. So that's what's been going on behind the scenes. You know, we've been hustling, trying to conjure up financial magic, you know, like I'm just trying to do this white girl manifesting like, Oh, I want a bag of money to fall in my lap. Just, it doesn't work. I, I don't know how it works for y'all, but it doesn't work for me. Yes. I'm being sarcastic. Um, so who knows what the next year is going to look like for us. The podcast is still going to be around, you know, still going to be with a rebrand. That's going to happen. I might start making content though about, uh, moving out of the U S or about learning to rehab a home when you're over 50 and you can't even hammer a nail in a piece of wood. I don't know what's going to happen. Let's ensure, you know, for us, we can get this plan off the ground first because we're it's still kind of up in the air and we'll take it from there. So who knows what's going to unfold. But if you follow me on other platforms, you may have noticed that I haven't really been around much, you know, like I'm writing a book, still working on it. It's kind of taken a backseat to first doing the work that makes the money to pay the bills because that that's got to come first. And then the immigration and, you know, all sorts of things. So it's not on hold, but it's on delay. It's going to be a minute, no release date yet. And it's down on the priority list after like trying to function day to day, like through the exhaustion and the brain fog and the, I can't find my words. I it's, it's, it's a lot. So if you haven't seen me, hanging out on social media or chit-chatting and bullshitting in the Discord group or or whatever it is. I absolutely appreciate your patience through like this whole spread thinness that I've been through. And uh, also, if you'd like to send some good thoughts, good energy our way that maybe we will manifest like a, a bag of money or some, you know, down payment, something, uh, you know, send send those vibes our way because this feels impossible to pull off actually moving out of the U.S. On top of like we are learning Portuguese right now. Uh, that's a whole nother. There's a lot going on. Um, and I'm going to loop back for those of you who say, well, if you don't like this country, then you can just leave. And honestly, I don't think there's very many American fuckers that feel that way listening right now, because if you do, you probably already figured out the flavor of this podcast politically, socially, et cetera, probably doesn't align with your beliefs. But you may have friends and other folks that that say these things. Um, I'm right here, you know, put it, putting my hand up, attesting to the fact, doing the, the scout symbol, I don't know, whatever, attesting to the fact that despite the privileges that that Ken and I and our two adult kids who are coming with have, this is really, really, really hard. If moving out of the U.S. was as easy as, let's say, an interstate move, which is still beyond, way beyond the reach of many people financially, more people would be doing just that. This is fucking hard. Uh, so thanks, you know, for taking the time to listen about our behind the scenes stuff. It's helpful for me just on a personal level to talk about this stuff and to share our journey and to share our triumphs and our many tribulations and how the hell we're trying to navigate around them to share that with other people. And I'm hoping that for some of you out there who may be considering doing the same or in the process right now, that it might be helpful for you too. So 
With all that said, these balls are now clean. This has been like a beefy extended intro. Um, and now here is me and Phrygian Monk talking about race and kink with all of the nuance this November. On the line and on the video, if if y'all American fuckers were listening last time, uh, we just started doing video podcasts. I have no idea what I'm going to use the video for because like I have time for but you know, hey, they're there. We'll see. But I can see Phrygian Monk right now. Hi, how are you? Hello, I'm so glad to be here. Me too. Me too. I I adore everything that falls out of your mouth. When it comes to kink, kink education, a lot of the um, subjects within kink, whether it's within the community, whether it's within the virtual community, if we even want to call that a community, whatever it is, the best word we got right now, you have some some spot on nuanced introspections about how we all operate, how we all relate to each other, how we all fuck each other over without realizing and sometimes with realizing. And I was tootling along on my uh, TikTok FYP. And it is no nuance November. It is. And I forgot how much I miss no nuance November. And you popped up on my feed with one of your no, no nuance Novembers. Hold on. What was it? It was the one that said, I made notes. Hold on. Da, 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 where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Okay. Right here. You said, uh, wait, no, it's not right here. Oh my God. I'm a mess here. Wait. Was it, was it day two? Because I specifically remember day two being a particularly popular video. Yes. You said, I don't know if it was day two, but you said, no nuance November. I'm being you. Uh, kink talk is heavily segregated and pretty racist, like 1950s level. And I heard that. And I was like, yes. And then <laughs> I slid into the comments and said, yeah. But if you were to ask anybody on, you know, kink talk or just in the kink community in general, they'd say the they are the most socially aware, not racist people ever. How could you say that? We're all oppressed as kinksters. But I, maybe I didn't go on. But, you know, that was the sentiment. <laughs> Um, and then you said you had thoughts, and here we are. This boom. Oh yeah, the thoughts. I, I am ready to share them. Okay, so let's let's start with that. So when you are saying like nineteen fifties level segregation, what do you mean, and why? What I mean by that is, I feel like as a community, um, we kind of are at this whole separate but equal phase. Um, I see a lot of people of color starting to make their own events. I see a lot of them like creating their own spaces. Um, and I think that's for a good reason. Uh, unfortunately, people of color, I think, especially within the King community are vastly underrepresented. And I think we've reached a point where we want to see more of us you know we want mm -hmm. to see people who look like us uh, we want people who have similar life experiences and so uh you know we're kind of reaching this point where it's like okay we've got poc only spaces over here and we have non-poc spaces over here 
Um, and, you know, I, I think I've been seeing a little bit less interaction between those two groups. And it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to watch. And that's definitely expanded onto TikTok as well. Yeah, you know, and it's like, I don't know, I, I have I have lots of thoughts, you know, and, and part of it on TikTok, not definitely not all of it, definitely not all of it but the tiny part is the algorithm isn't doing us any favors by further segregating us even when we're trying not to be segregated yeah um but yeah as you said we're still seeing it in the community so it's not can't blame it all on the algorithm (laughs) um I uh, looked up a study a while ago. The there's a uh, the science of BDSM team out of Northern Illinois University does a lot of you know different really interesting studies, and they did um, a survey of the kink community uh, specifically at, aimed at people of color to see like how do you feel in the community, how do you feel discriminated against and fetishized and and yada yada, and nearly half felt specifically discriminated against at a BDSM event compared to like 4% of non-people of color. And like the statistics just keep coming and they're just as dismal as you would expect. Um, So when we talk to non-people of color, our palm-colored friends, uh, which I'm kind of palm-colored, so I don't know. (laughs) I'm very outwardly palm colored. Um, they're like, but but we're include. We say everybody's included. I don't get it. It's the people of color just don't want to be with us, and that's their problem. So, what do you have to say to that? <laughs> I'd, I'd say that's probably the worst response you could give. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think. Um, a lot of people like to say we're inclusive because it sounds good. It fits today's optics. You know, like we are in an inclusive group. We respect everyone. You know, we bring everyone to the table. <clears throat> and that is absolutely fine to say. However, there does need to be some follow through on that. You know, um, I've gotten to the point where everyone kind of says they're inclusive, you know, whether it be companies, whether it be schools, organizations, whatever have you. Everyone says they're inclusive. So you really now have to take a look at who who's there. You know, you actually have to look at the demographics and say, okay, are we inclusive? Like, are, are we seeing good representation? Um, because oftentimes, you know, as, as a person of color myself, I would love to go to established places. You know, I don't want to do the work of creating my own space. I'm a full-time college student. I do this kind of education thing. Um, you know, I have enough on my plate <laughs> that I don't need to be creating any other spaces. And I suspect that's the way for a lot of other people of color. Hell too. yes. Yeah. So, you know, when, when I hear someone say we're inclusive, I, what I'm looking for is like active participation of people of color, you know, and obviously understanding that demographics are different in other, in, in different places. Um, my first community statistically speaking was 92 you know 92% white community mm-hmm. um just in the general area right. it was 90, 92% white so i understood that i was the only person of color there that it made sense um but at the same time i felt welcome i felt mm-hmm. included nobody singled me out in any way because of who i was as a person of color and that's what i really look for when people say we're inclusive you know it's not 
it's obviously not discriminating against, but it's also not putting people on this weird pedestal and holding them up, um, which kind of leads to the tokenization thing, you mm-hmm. know, just as bad as discriminating is tokenizing, being like, oh, look, look at these people of color we have here. Aren't, <laughs> aren't they beautiful? And you just like... It feels performative. You They're know? here to to hand us out the, the good white people cookies. Now, everyone, put out your hands. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, when I see community inclusiveness displayed in a performative kind of way, just like, look how many people of color we have. Aren't they fantastic? It it almost feels just as disingenuous um, because now we're kind of creating a situation where this inclusion is based off of bragging rights. You know, mm-hmm. this, this inclusion is, oh, look, we look, look, we're inclusive. See, 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 look, we're inclusive. Um, you know, rather than just having community members who are people of color. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I've told people this all over in like many different activist spaces. I don't want to be treated like I'm special in any way. I just want to be accepted for who yeah. I am. You know, and, and I think that's a lot of people will echo that sentiment. It's mm-hmm. not that we want special treatment. We want to just be accepted. We want to be able to come into spaces and be treated as as if anyone else were entering that space. Yeah, yeah. I was watching uh, one of your other videos. You had mentioned that white folks will never know, no matter how hard they try, no matter how like anti-racist, <coughs> how many books, how many seminars, how many workshops, they will never know exactly what it's like to walk in the shoes of a person of color and and especially you know black bipoc folks right um so then comes the conundrum of if you can't really wrap your head around what exactly the problem is especially those problems that are like the the subtle microaggressions that like Mm. right over you know people's heads how are they going to know? Like how, like, and, and it's not the, the, you know, black community and people of color's responsibility to be like, okay, uh, you know, do the work. So where do they go to do that work to get as close of an idea that is possible? Right. Um, So I always say uh, no person of color is required to educate you about your biases. However, some are willing to do it preferably for a fee. Um, So, you know, there are people, myself included, I enjoy talking about this. You know, I enjoy activism. I enjoy getting out into communities and talking about how we can make things inclusive for everyone. Um, Because at the end of the day, that's what I want to see. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to see inclusive communities. Um, I want to see places where I can go in and just feel welcome and be like, oh, this is a great place. The vibe is great. The atmosphere is great. Um, and so I think it, it starts there. It mm-hmm. starts with, um, just starting to look, you know, I have yeah. on my channel. Um, there are other amazing creators who do. Um, and so I, I think it's that the information is out there. It's taking that step to go grab it, to go get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And I think that's the first step, uh, I have other videos planned talking more about like education and things, but it starts with education of yourself, you know, uh, you can really only change your own thinking and behavior as much as we'd love to change everyone's. We can really only start with ourselves. 
Um, <clears throat> but when enough people start doing that, when enough people start changing their education, when enough people start learning, then they can come together and start forming an informed community. And that's when they can share ideas amongst each other where they can gain and learn from their peers. And that kind of has this ripple effect to further grow a an informed community. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where it creates informed communities are inclusive communities. When you are informed about what racial bias, when you're informed about how you can be a better ally and friend of people of color, that's where people of color will start feeling like, okay, we understand no one's perfect. You mm-hmm. know, mistakes are going to happen. But number one, seeing that they are genuine mistakes. These are people who are trying to learn who don't always get it right. And number two, that they're being handled and grown from. That's what's going to create a space where people of color are like, okay, I feel comfortable coming into here and participating as a member of the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, it, you had said, relating to that, that uh, when non-people of color are researching different play types and whatnot, that they should go and take that extra step and to see how those different play types and implements and things relate to people of color. So what did you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, this it is came like from... this, this episode is all the nuance, November. I'm it like is. pulling all the nuance out of you from your no nuances. <laughs> Darn, all, all that work. <laughs> um, so that that particular one came from a more specific conversation I had where um, someone was discussing the use of single tales and how, you know, it's like, oh, I really want to do single tales. Um, and I just don't know. I just don't know who I want to try them on. You know, like I have these friends here, but like they seem a little uncomfortable with it, but I don't really get it because they're like total masochists and like they love that kind of stuff. And I'm like, aha, do you think there's anything that might influence their eagerness or willingness to participate in this specific thing? They're like, no, I really don't think so. I just, I just like, I just don't understand. Is it me? Like, is, and I'm like, Okay, <laughs> here's the deal. Um, I want you to think of the history of single tail usage and just exactly who they were using it on. Um, and that's kind of when the light was like, oh, yeah, that was kind of insensitive, wasn't it? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, but we got there. <laughs> and what I encourage people to do is just with that video, especially, it was like, just think, just take a moment and think. Um, because a part of being informed, a part of being aware is understanding how other people might view the types of play that you do. Mm. You know, um, some people are totally fine wearing a leather cop uniform into a dungeon. I personally, no, (laughs) exactly. That's how, that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. Um, and do I think they're horrible, bad people? No, most of the time they're, they're fine. They're just lacking a perspective from other groups of people. You know, I, as a person of color, would not want to see a bunch of uniformed anyone, anywhere, you know, in a play area. Because I'm trying to relax. I'm trying to get into the mood. I'm trying to get into a headspace. That does not do wonders for my headspace. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I and I know uh, before I left Chicago, which was... 
three, God, more than three years, three and a half years ago, mm -hmm. uh, which is where my like home community was and where I came up kinky. Uh, they outlaw, not outlaw, <laughs> outlawed. Oh, I'm using the words of the oppressor. Uh, they they banned uh, cop uniforms at yeah. dungeon play parties just completely. Uh, and yeah, and and I hear a lot of people today when they hear like, oh, some places have banned them. Uh, they're like, why? Why? I feel like we're going back like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago when there was the, you know, the Nazi uniform fetish was like really, really, really big. And people just like oh, went at it with their full chest, like not realizing like, OK, you know what? If that's somebody's fetish, like I'm not going to get into their psychological business, but you are around other people here. I, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> That, like, when I turned 18, when I first got into the community, and that was in 2018, that was, like, the very tail end of it. And you still saw some people doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And being that I, I was much younger and much less informed than I was now, but even then, I was like, that is, that's rather insensitive. You know, not not even thinking about specific groups of people, just thinking, like, those were horrible people. Why, why would you want to yeah. dress like that? Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, there, I think there has always been some level of people using kink to try to display certain, I'll call them taboo things, but taboo in a way that is maybe not acceptable for marginalized people mm -hmm. to have close encounters with. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And like, you know, thinking back to the uh like the the prevalence of the Nazi uniform, it's just like, oh my god, how just like normal it was once upon yeah. a time in the kink community. <laughs> and it, it just dawned on me, not that this is an excuse whatsoever, but the reason why, I mean, a racist, right? But even people who are like, I'm not I just I don't know why. I think I have no idea. Gen X people. You know how like a lot of uh, Gen Z and millennials, they fetishize things that they saw in like Disney movies and Disney princess stuff because it's what they grew up with. Uh, us Gen Xers grew up with quicksand and Nazis. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's but yeah, don't still don't bring that to the dungeon. Don't bring your childhood, you know, uh, one, Wonder Woman uh, storyline fantasies to the dungeon. And, you know, what, what's the guy with the uh, Indiana Jones? No. Oh, no. yeah. Yeah. Um, but speaking of. Uh, taboo things and taboo play, just like there are some folks that might do that kind of Nazi play who are Jewish, who, you know, have like, they have something that they directly relate to that kind of play. And that's why I said, I'm not going to get into your business as to why you're into this. You know, that's not my judgment. Um, but the same happens uh, with any kind of race play. Uh, and I know there's been a lot of talk, like Melina Lee Williams-Haas talks a lot about um, race play. And on social media, it kind of comes around and comes around. And then there's the well-meaning white people who are like, you know, they make the videos. If you are into race play in any way, shape, or form, uh, <laughs> I condemn you <laughs> with my good white person I, cookies. <laughs> there's, Let's just talk I about call that. it. I call it the righteous indignation, and I'm just like when they're just so 
mad and high on that horse like how dare you and they're like preaching and i'm just like wow that is righteous indignation right there yeah so talk to me about that there i'm sure there's folks listening you know like wait a minute race play isn't we're not supposed to be doing that what what do you mean what do you mean so what do you mean uh (laughs) i I, in the past three days, have been asked this question five times. Ooh, <laughs> I know. It is in November for I, you. I got it. I got it asked like two, two times yesterday. Um, I did a live this morning where several people asked. So like, what, like, what are we talking about when we mean this? And I'm like, aha, my ultimate nuanced opinion that I didn't share for intentional purposes. Um, Race play, like many other more taboo things, is a very, very nuanced subject to talk about. Um, you know, and I feel like many people, not by their own fault at all, because I, I get it's uncomfortable, um, take the easy way of, oh, race play is bad. And if you do it, you're a horrible person. It, there's a bit more to the discussion than that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that I like to draw people's attention to is, Oftentimes, we associate race play with degradation of some kind. And for the vast majority of scenes, that is the case. Oftentimes, when you see race play, it does have some sort of degradation attached to it. Um, However, it can be quite the opposite. I have seen and participated in scenes where it was more of a a worship kind of a thing. I I saw one that was a a body worship scene. um, And a big focus of that was the person's skin color um you know just like oh my gosh you're so powerful you're so this you're so that and it was it was a very uplifting thing you know it was a scene that was designed to celebrate someone's race and celebrate um that and it i i loved it i Mm -hmm. came away from that being like oh my gosh that was beautiful you know there were there were happy tears all around um and so that's that's the first thing i like to bring people's attention to is we have this like association and not wrongly so not wrongly so we have this association of race play with degradation um but it it can take so many more forms than that <laughs> the second thing i always want to look at is you know why why do people do the things that they they do and i always ask this question specifically in relation to people of color who are into that um, a lot of times when people say oh if you're into race play that's bad. You're a horrible person. Um, there's that unspoken, if you're into race play and you're white, <laughs> that's the, but they don't say that. Right. And so for many people of color hearing this over and over, if you're in race play, you're horrible. You're just like bad. You're bad. You're bad. They associate that with themselves. You know, it's like, am I bad for wanting what I want? And that's never a feeling we want to have, um, especially as a marginalized person. We already get a lot, um, both from the black community if you're black you know and and other many marginalized communities have an extra deep dislike for bdsm Mm -hmm. um so we're already getting it from our own communities you know unfortunately we get it from um white people from you know in terms of um just discrimination and all of that and so to hear like you know even the very things that you're into uh being called into question people saying oh this is awful how how could you do that you know um it can be really disheartening for people yeah yeah and so you know i I always encourage people before you make that initial snap judgment because i get we all have gut reactions to things i have them too i want like i just encourage people to stop and think for five five seconds 
not even why that individual person is into what they are into, more like, why are people into what they are into, especially when it comes to these things, you know? Um, you know, for some people, it's about catharsis. They want to be in these vulnerable positions, but still have control over what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, for other people, they just enjoy it. You know, it, it's the same thing of, why would a Jewish person engage in Nazi play? That seems awful. Some some people enjoy that, you know? Right. Um, and it's not up to us to say that their enjoyment is somehow wrong. Mm-hmm. You know? <clears throat> and yeah. then even still, for other people, um, it's about exploring um, the power dynamics that are alive in our very real world. You know, um, if we talk about a person of color playing with someone in a cop uniform, you know, this, this is absolutely mirroring real life situations that are quite scary um, and traumatizing for many people, but doing so in a way where there is a relatively good amount of safety for everyone involved. You know, um, we know that the scene is most more than likely not going to fly off the rails, you know, um, and no tragic things are going to happen. And, that, mm-hmm. and it's kind of by design. You know, we're, we're putting, we're creating these situations, but in a way that we can actually explore and work through the emotions that are attached to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I often say that when we are doing kink, and, and not every type of scene, but these types of scenes, um, and we're doing them with thought and care, I say we consensually and intentionally pervert social norms and hierarchies for our pleasure. And, you know, when we think about what are those social norms and hierarchies, first of all, in some ways, they're the same for all of us, if we're all, you know, in uh, American culture, whatever. And in other ways, they're very different. Your experience of the social norms and hierarchies that you are a part of versus somebody that's standing right next to you can be completely different. And, I encourage white folks to really think about like, well, how do you do that in your play? And I'll use the stereotypical example of a submissive cis woman, right? And let's say your partner is a man and you are doing things that are very subservient, that on the outside looking in look very anti-feminist. And But you're like, no, but I am still a fe- This is play. I enjoy it for some reason. I'm just compelled to do it. Um, and that's if you think of people's different contexts, like if you're a person of color and you have that relationship with the police or with the the social systems or different sorts of people, you may fetishize those things. You may enjoy playing with those things for a myriad of reasons, maybe a very specific like therapeutic thing that you know exactly what's going on. Or maybe you're just like, I don't know. I just, I like it. And it's all valid. Um, And I think, I think, no, I think, I know uh, a lot of white folks lose perspective of the, it's like, how is it suddenly different? It's the, it's the same principle. And it, in my opinion, uh, it centers in discomfort. It's like that discomfort comes up as a knee-jerk reaction. I'm not even going to think about why you might like that because that's just so horrible. And if I even entertain thinking about why would somebody – that makes me awful. Yeah. And, yeah, so stop that, white people. <laughs> you know, I, there, I think there's, there's very much a reaction of, like, I don't want to be – at all involved or like accused to be involved in this thing. So it's much easier for me to just, no, no, 
absolutely not. It's bad. And just like push away from it. And I get that. That's like, you know, sitting with uncomfortableness and like, you know, even engaging in discussions about these things. You know, I, I've talked to people, um, white people specifically who are like, well, why would you want to discuss race play with me? I'm like, well, you, you have questions about it. And you're like, but like, what if I say the wrong thing? I'm like, then we, then we discuss it and move on. You know, um, right. I, I think for some people, like there's this fear of, I'm going to say the wrong thing and I'm going to get like absolutely destroyed for it. I'm like, I'm, my life is going to be over. I'm going to be canceled. It's like, it's just going to be awful. And <clears throat> I, I want to like discourage that line of thinking because, you know, while you can't just go up to any person of color and be like, let's talk about race play that, that will definitely not be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you are in a space where people are intentionally discussing this type of play, um, these are people who are open and willing to discuss it. And, you know, it, if you say something, if you say quote unquote, the wrong thing, you know, if you have a reaction or you say something that may not be the best, you know, I'm not going to jump on you for that. Mm-hmm. We we're going to talk about it, of course, and then say, Hey, why do you think that way? You know, like w- what's your line of thinking coming from there? And we're going to discuss how that can be perceived by other people. Um, but it, it's absolutely not, it's not a trap, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially, you know, if you come into one of my spaces, I hold discussions pretty often about these kinds of topics, you know, it's not a trap. I'm not going to be like, aha, gotcha. Now I'm going to Twitter and you know, post- <laughs> right. <laughs> no, like I, I actually want to have a discussion because I understand, like, it's really hard to inform yourself on topics like these without actually talking about it, you know, right. there there aren't tons of articles written about race play. Um, you know, I'm in the process of writing one. And like, so that you know, these, these kinds of things, just, they aren't talked about enough. Yeah. So understandably, you have to have a discussion and talk to people about them yeah. um, and, and have the space to do so. You yeah. Know? And I think a, a big part of it, it's like, you know, I, I always say I'm the mole because I am mixed race. So, mm. and I was raised mainly by my white family. So it's like, I get, <laughs> You know, there is this, this passive aggressive nature. There is this like, you know, you think of the, the, the stereotypical image I have of like how white culture and like the white family and how white folks are socialized to like not rock the boat, not say anything is like Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, mom is cooked and you know over the stove all day and there's there's a casseroles and also a ham and a turkey and the and then dad is wasted right and so by the time you get to dinner here's the mom like with the apron like everything's great look at our nice family we have guests here look your cousins are here and dad like you know stands up on his chair and gets up on the table and is like this is my house bitch everybody you know and causes a scene and like throws shit through the window and then like here's the mom like Oh, honey, would you like some sweet potato casserole? Like ignoring everything <laughs> yeah. that's like the 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 more uncomfortable things get, the more in normal mode and like nothing's happening. Nothing. And that is very much a part of like the white family and white culture and especially white women, because yeah. the women are the ones that that sort of. Uh, you know, that that tampered down those emotional outbursts. And, and we are raised to be sort of 
uh, like overgivers or codependent where we're trying to manage people's emotions before they happen sort of thing. So like, mm. I get that. Um, and you know, white folks, I'm the mole. I've seen both <laughs> sides. I've lived both sides. So uh, it, it's very interesting that. because yeah. I'm, I'm actually adopted. I was ah. adopted by white people. And while I am nowhere wow. near white passing, oh yeah. So like, I feel like there's definitely a level of, I, I also understand both sides. I understand the comfortability that is like prioritized in white spaces. Research shows that sex is just as mental as it is physical, so you need more than just an amazing vibrator. If you've dog-eared that one sexy chapter in a romance novel, or you have that scene in a movie that you always fantasize about, Dipsy can help you get there in a new way. So what is Dipsy? It's an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. You'll find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor. And you can listen to stories voiced by celebrities like Sharonis J. Jackson, ER Fightmaster, and Luke Cook. Dipsy also has soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and hot, hot, hot stories that you can read, too. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner. And for listeners of American Sex Podcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny. That's S-U-N-N-Y. Yeah, I said 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny. That's dipsystories.com slash sunny. I'm, I'm actually adopted. I was ah. adopted by white people. And while I am nowhere wow. near white passing, oh yeah. So <laughs> like, I feel like there's definitely a level of, I, I also understand both sides. I understand the comfortability that is like prioritized in white spaces. Like mm -hmm. we want to be comfortable. We don't want to rock the boat. You know, we were like, especially when it comes to like family dynamics or other kind of close relationships, it's why oftentimes you'll see someone who has like a friend who says these horribly racist things and you'll be like, why do you hang out with this person? You know, it, it's uncomfortable to try and like change the status quo. Yeah. It's, it's not the norm. It's not something that's accepted. People like are just socialized. Just go along with it. Just, just go along with the status quo. It, it, you know, it's not hurting you, especially as a white person not hurting you so what why rock the boat why why do you why you know why stir things up for everybody else um and that kind of mentality is is still still to this day so prevalent oh god it is it is and it's like that is going to just it's going to continue to ruin 
everything because it's the it's well-meaning folks it's folks who really want to be anti-racist who really and it's like i think for a lot of folks that is the biggest hurdle it's like get the fuck over even though even if it's hard i mean do we have to have support groups of like you know i don't know like passive aggressive anonymous you know (laughs) so okay so that makes me think of another thing that you said was that um it'll never be fully safe or feel fully safe for people of color to play with white partners. And I know like there was, when you had had said that there was some follow-up, like, what do you mean? How do I make my, my partner of color uh, not feel safe? And so, yes, I definitely want to talk to you about that, but also it adds another layer of like hmm, nuance because you grew up with a white family. You also have yeah. a white partner. <laughs> so like, let's dig in there. Yeah. So, um, when it comes to engage, like, <laughs> there's a lot that goes into this one as well. Uh, I chose that to start off my No Nuance November because it is the, it is the discussion I'd actually been having with my partner. You know, uh, my partner, very white presenting, was actually Latina. Um, and what we kind of noticed was safe people you know, safe people who are white are still a part of being white. And that in and of itself is inherently dangerous. Um, and, you know, I went through it in a follow-up video and I said, on an individual level, you know, white people just aren't going to get the black experience. And so naturally they're going to be more prone to slipping up, making mistakes, saying things or doing things that may be inadvertently harmful. Um, that wasn't the main one though. Cause I, it happens oftentimes those can just be solved with discussion and like mm-hmm. personal growth and things like that. <clears throat> Proximity to whiteness is always a dangerous thing for people of color. Um, you know, I, there are still many people um, and especially specifically we're talking in America um, who dislike interracial relationships. You know, there are many people and this is inside and out of the community who mm-hmm are very vocal about their dislike um, and some who will even take action about it. Um, So, you know, when we're talking about it will never be fully safe, it's not necessarily on a interpersonal level. It's more of a societal level. Um, The concept of whiteness and the concept of people of color being in or close to that system always carries with it a, some level of inherent risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've even observed it. And, uh, you know, right now it's the real talk for my white listeners that are gonna be like, fuck. Um, (laughs) But I even see that on a personal level, a lot more than I think most white folks think. Um, And me as a, you know, oftentimes white perceived woman, or at least like, white enough like you look kind of like you're something but i don't know what you know uh racially ambiguous and um i have found that it's just over and over and over and over and over and over and i and i i experience a lot with white women specifically um that everything's great you know you're a quote i i even hate using this word now because it's lost so much meaning but you're like we're looking at you as an ally. Like you really, you get it, you get it. Right. 
some shit happens. Like, you know, it's like, oh my God, what did you just say? What did you just do? And then it, you know, it's like the, oh my God, what did you just say? And instead of being the conversation, like you said, it's the double down. (gasps) I wouldn't, how could you think that of me? And it's like, I have been disappointed continually by white folks, especially white women, to the point where it's like, and now all my white my white friends are going to be like, bitch, you don't trust me. But it's like, <laughs> it, it now, you know, some folks I hold a little bit at arm's length, if I have that feeling. And even the folks that I, I'm like, no, never in a million years. And then it fucking happens. And, and see, I just don't thing. get surprised. It's like, no, I'm not going to hold you at arm's length because, like, I need people I'm close to. I can't live my life holding everyone at arm's length. But, like, if you fuck up and you fuck up spectacularly where you show you don't get shit, I'm just not surprised anymore. You know, which is really fucked up. I don't. I don't yeah. know. Do you, I mean, do you feel that? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, throughout the years, I've it, it, again, interestingly enough, growing up as a black person in a white town, I was almost accepted as like one of the white people in a oh. very, in a very because this. So keeping in mind, this is a very small community. We're talking like five thousand people. This uh-huh. is like that's the size of our town. Um, so. I grew up, went to elementary school with these people. I went to high school with these people. So, you know, by that, by that point in time, it was very much socialized into the community. Uh Um, And I would see people, you know, it's like back then, but much more so now I can see just how bad it was. It just never applied to me because I wasn't viewed that way. Ah, Yeah. Um, and you see the doubling down, you see the microaggressions, you see the, and there's just a whole ton of stuff. Um, one incident sticks out to me in particular. Um, one student at the high school that I was going to, um, had a massive Confederate flag on his truck. Um, and you know, I won't name any names, nor will I say exactly what happened, but all I can say is it became a big incident at our school. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it strikes me like as interesting to this day um the superintendent uh, or the president of the board put out a statement saying this doesn't seem to impact any significant amount of students learning abilities so we're we're just going to ignore it and that was it was like the moment where my activist just like awoke and i was like not a significant amount of students are you trying to say that like the five black people at the school don't matter? Oh. You know, it, 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 it was very much, I wrote, I wrote a letter to him. Um, he responded, didn't apologize, but he responded. <laughs> There's very much this, like, I have to hold people at arm's length. Cause even people who I've like been socialized with, even people who treat me very well, they're not immune from those things. Mm-hmm. You know? And in fact, some of them did these kind of horrible things quite often. Again, I was just socialized with them. And as a kid, you know, wanting to feel accepted, I would not care. Right. Because it's like, well, I mean, they accept me. You know, they talk to me. They hang out with me. They're coming to my birthday parties. And, you know, that especially as, again, a black person in an all white town, it's rough. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you, you don't have the type of community support that many other people do. Um, so, you know, just being accepted was awesome. <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but now, you know, now that I've found community, now that I have people who are like genuinely care, who are genuinely there for me. Um, it's definitely, um, looking back, I, I tolerated a lot. Um, uh-huh. and it, because of how I was raised and, you know, because of where I was, that was, you know, um, that's what happened, but yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Grew up in Chicago in a very, you know, diverse neighborhood of people of all different ethnicities. And uh, when my kids were young, we moved to to Northwest Indiana for a minute. And so my kids spent some time in school in Northwest Indiana. And it was there. There were, yeah, probably three black families in the whole town. And most people were pretty racist. And like the kids, it was strange. Like they, um. My daughter, who, you know, she is as white as the fresh fallen snow. Like, you would never look at her and be like, you're black and Mexican? What? You know, <laughs> like, and so she was at the Boys and Girls Club after school. And she's like, hey, counselor, or whatever, I need to microwave my snack. I'm microwaving some chimichangas. And they were like, oh, don't you say that here. And she's like, what? My. <laughs> my, it's my sna- I'm microwaving some chimichangas. Like, Stop! That is so racist. I can't believe you said that word. And she's like, chimichangas? Like, it's on the box. And then she got in trouble from the white people from say- for saying um, chimichanga yeah. because they thought they were keeping her from being racist. And I'm like, oh, there's so many words to this. Yeah, it's a trip. Like, I, I can't imagine the, the interesting things that you have encountered. It, it goes so far <laughs> both ways. I've, I've seen, and again, just like going back to the white savior complex, I've seen some incredible oversteps by people where I'm just like, that wasn't remotely racist. I I don't know. I don't know what to say. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. I'm just like, I don't know how to tell you, but this, that wasn't racist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh my God, oh my God. So um, let's talk about you. You have a partner who is Latina, but your partner is very white presenting. Yes. and so does that factor in, like, how does that factor in with, you can never be completely safe, you can never be, yes. has that been an interesting road? Absolutely. So uh, to give all of the listeners the optics, I am about five foot eight, about 300 pounds, fairly masculine looking. Um, my partner is four foot eight, quite small, like a hundred pounds maybe, um, and feminine. So, you know, just, just to think of the optics of what we're dealing with here, um, the, in white society, white women are oftentimes protected, you know, a protected people. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just when we're out in public, we have to be very conscious of what we do, you know, um, and this is inside and outside of kink spaces. Um, we never play super hard in anywhere, um, except our private space, obviously. Right. And, and even then, we have to be careful because we live in an apartment building. So there's neighbors, and, you know. Yeah. And well-meaning neighbors are probably the worst thing in the entire world um, because they're well-meaning. And that's the problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but like there's just there just has to be a level of consciousness 
of um, how society treats black mask presenting peoples, uh, especially when interacting with white female presenting or female identified people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, it's just a level of consciousness that most other couples wouldn't think of, you know, yeah. um, most other, mo- like if it's a white couple, you know, you're shopping at Walmart and you get a playful smack on the butt. No one thinks twice about that. No, you know, no one's thinking, of, oh, that's so cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I personally would not do that um, because somebody might be like, how inappropriate, you know, that like simple things that other couples do could absolutely get kicked out of places. Oh, yeah. Or, or worse. Uh, we're not going for worse. We really don't want worse. Uh, the stereotypical example I have, because I, I teach a lot like edge play and I, I do some shit. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a conversation. This has come up a few times about incognito semi-public play. And I had done a scene and, and you hear, you know, stories of other people doing this where it's like a mock kidnapping where maybe like, you know, you have their hands bound, but, you know, like, for instance, you could have their hands bound, but ha- drape a sweater over it. So when you walk them out to the car, like no one sees, but like, you guys know you're doing the role play and it's fun. And, uh, and it's like. You know, when we talk about that stuff, it's like, and yeah, you know, those are ways you can bring your play into public discreetly, but maybe not if you're black. Like if you're black and you get pulled over with, a, you know, a duct tape white chick in the backseat of your car and, you know, a jail. bag full of handcuffs Straight. and yeah, exactly. Straight to jail. No right. questions asked. Straight yeah. to jail. And a lot of people are like, oh, shit, I would have never thought of that. Fuck. You're right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it looks, I, you know, what? What I often do with people is I would spell out the situation as a news headline. So, you know, like oh, someone gives God. that example. I'm like, why wouldn't you do that? I'm like, <clears throat> black man pulled over with duct tape white woman in the backseat. How does that sound in a news article? And they're like, oh, that sounds bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So, all right. So wrapping this up, like, I know we've given folks a lot to chew on especially people that you know are not people of color so this started out when we talked about segregation and racism uh, not just in the community but in online spaces like tiktok and algorithm aside if i am your stereotypical white listener going shit okay i want to do something about this i want to help nip that in the bud, be part of that collective effort, where to begin? What will help? Or will will they all be drops in the buckets? But do all those drops in the buckets add up to a bucket of water? Like, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it the the best thing you can do, and it's, it's quite an easy thing, but I think it's the best thing you can do. Be intentional about cultivating a diverse social media following and what i mean by following is the people you are following you know i'm not saying follow only people of color no there are some amazing white creators who do a fantastic thing and you should follow them but also realize there are some amazing creators of color who are also doing amazing things and you should follow them too um you know just and just speaking from the king perspective but honestly in everything you do online when you are intentional and seek out people of color who are passionate and engaged in the kinds of things you are 
excited about when that you are interested in that's that's going to kind of it is drops in the bucket but it starts to tell the algorithm oh this person finds this interesting you know and as you create a more diversified and a more um inclusive following on social media you know the people that you interact with you will start seeing more of it and and it's super it's super fascinating um you know I, as a creator of color, follow a lot of other creators of color. And I have a very diverse time, like, and, and, you know, in every social media, I have a very diverse timeline. And I hear people talking, I'm like, ah, I really only see you or like one other person. I'm like, you just follow me. <laughs> you know, you're like, it, it's, it's not enough of a coincidence that I am a person of color for the timeline or that algorithm to recognize oh you want to see other people of color you just happen to see the kink education hashtag i'm like oh you want kink education this person just happens to be black who's giving right um so being intentional and going out and looking you know put a little legwork in i personally love doing like deep dives on youtube and finding who's out there that i have never heard of before um or or anywhere you know um so you know maybe take an evening and just like like find people who you find interesting who are also people of color and that's well, this person talking about some cool stuff oh this person talking about some amazing stuff um that's what's going to help change you know yes um number number one you're educating yourself um number two you are it it is tiny tiny but it is telling the algorithm oh people want to see this content you know uh-huh. and if one person does it okay nothing's going to change but like if a hundred people do it yeah. Oh, so they're like, well, there's something here. If a thousand people do it, like, oh, yeah, no, there, there's definitely some interest for this kind of content. Yeah, so. yeah, and it it is work. I think that's what people don't realize. Like, like you said, I'll I'll regularly have times where it's like I'm going to do a weird deep dive on whatever social media and just like follow one person to another person to another person and like get to know these creators that I don't know. It's like, you know do the work. Well, we're all going to do it. You know, just be nosy one night flipping around. You find lots of people. And like there are, um, uh, dirty Lola has her, what she calls the, the Lola decks on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That is not just, uh, kink educators, but like, um, kink sex educators, um, LGBTQ, you know, activists, they're all people of color. Um, and I think people of color and, and other marginalized identities, mostly people of color, though, like those types of lists, even if, you, you know, you go looking for that, that will kind of crack it open for folks. So, yep. yeah. Hey, I am... I am so happy we got to talk about this. Uh, These conversations do not happen enough. And for everyone listening along going, well, damn, they don't. I'm going to dig up all the resources I have, like, you know, Luna Matadas and Marla Renee Stewart do race and kink discussions. There's a bunch of other stuff. So visit the show notes for this episode, americansexpodcast.com or whatever podcast player you're listening to. And I'll I'll put all the things there. Uh, And before we go, uh, where can people find you? Do you have anything going on? I know you teach some classes here and there. What's what's up? So um, as far as things going on, um, well, I past things that happened i did the august episode of uh, racing kink with marlon a stewart and it, it was amazing i can't say enough good things about them and if you are looking for a good place to start that is a good place to start um i 
there have been so many great people on that that um, discussion series. I, I can't say enough good things about it. Um, as far as what's coming up, uh, since it is the end of the school semester, you'll definitely see a lot more. I'm planning on sometime in early January hosting a um, race and kink, not podcast, but a discussion group. Um, and yeah, what what I really encourage people to do is this is a free event. I've hosted this before and they've always been quite fun. But this is a free event where you can just come and listen. You know, um, I oftentimes curate a few questions for people. Um, but also we do accept audience questions. You there, you know, they're filtered and moderated, obviously. Uh, so don't, don't come for any shenanigans, but <laughs> uh, it's just, I, I believe in accessibility. You know, and I understand that not everyone can afford to do things like the Racing Pink Discussion Podcast. It's, you know, a fairly expensive ticket. I get that. Um, so I want to give people a space where they can come alongside, hopefully, a large amount of other people and just have that discussion. Nice. Um, as well, general kink stuff. I do teach kink classes. Um, I will probably be at DomCon LA for 2023. I will definitely be putting my application in there. Um, and then I, I do teach my own classes as well. I host free classes on my Discord server um, and as just a way to get good communication, good community information out there. Um, as well, you might see me doing, and this is not confirmed yet, but it's in the books. Um, you might be seeing me do more of stuff within the Sacramento area. So if you if you are in the Sacramento area and you participate in that community, um, I may be doing some more education things there um, with ULES Queer Leather Association of Sacramento. Yes! Oh, I am so, so happy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, I've got all of their links, at, you know, social medias and stuff in the show notes. So go follow Phrygian Monk and uh, tickle your brain with good things. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. All righty. Thanks for listening to American Sex. What's that? You want more? Well, you can start by streaming our TV show on Showtime, Sex with Sunny Megatron. Then pop on over to SunnyMegatron.com. Everything's there. You can get updates on my new book, check out my sex ed and BDSM workshops, learn how to book me for your organization or for coaching. You know, we also want to hang out with you too, right? So come join our Discord community. Or follow along on TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. I'm Sunny Megatron everywhere. And you can catch Ken on Twitter or tune in to his weekly D&D games on Twitch. If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is simply to tell people about it. Make a TikTok or tweet about your favorite part of this episode. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review too. And if you're a ride or die American fucker, you're going to want to join our Patreon community. We'll send you official American Fucker stickers, and you'll get a lot more, too, at patreon.com slash American Sex. Now, just in case you happen to be one of the few that still has disposable income in this late-stage capitalist hellscape, well, when you're shopping for a new sex toy, BDSM gear, Kink Academy membership, or other things, please patronize our sponsors and affiliates. You'll get a discount, and it helps us, too. Win-win. All those links and codes are in our show notes. Thanks, American fuckers. We appreciate the heck out of you. See you next time. <laughs>